Hey there, this is Seth Abramovich, senior writer at The Hollywood Reporter. Welcome back to another edition of It Happened in Hollywood. This week, we're going to celebrate one of the greatest films to come out of a SNL skit of all time and a real ode to the joys of rock and roll. All that and more on this week's episode of It Happened in Hollywood. Welcome back to another episode and another sort of tribute to punk rock, because Penelope Spheris, uh, this week's guest, is almost synonymous with the rise of punk rock because of a series of films that she made. She is a independent filmmaker who grew up uh, on a carnival circuit with her parents and um, settled in Southern California and went to UCLA Film School like last week's guest, Alex Cox, uh, who cites her as an influence. And she made a series of films called The Decline of Western Civilization. And the first one followed the uh, hardcore underground punk rock scene of the West Coast that was featured so heavily in last week's film, Repo Man. She then, you know, got some work doing shorts for SNL and various things. But um, amazingly, when it came time for Lauren Michaels to turn Wayne's World, that Mike Myers, Dana Carvey sketch, into a feature film, which, believe it or not, was only the second film based on a sketch to come out of SNL after Blues Brothers. He turned to her. He thought she might do a good job. Boy, did she ever. She made a perfect kind of classic funny film, very visual, lots of slapstick, but uh, really captures the spirit of what made Wayne's World work on SNL. Party on, Wayne! Party on, Garth. It's Wayne's World! Wayne's World! Party time! Excellent! Of course, there was a lot of bumps along the way, and uh, I'll let her tell you about them. She certainly does not hold back. She is one of our more honest and colorful and forthcoming guests. So uh, just sit back and enjoy. This is a really special interview. Let's get to it. Penelope Spheris, welcome to It Happened in Hollywood. Oh, thank you, Seth. Uh, I'm so thrilled to have you. I'm a, a huge fan of yours. I think you're a trailblazer and an inspiration. So we are very excited to have you here today. Thank you. I appreciate that trailblazer thing. That's cool. <laughs> I mean, you certainly are. I'm not. I'm not just speaking out of turn here. Um, you've created uh, your own path in Hollywood, and it's uh, a really cool and uh, uh, maverick and visionary one. And I'd love to get right into it if you don't mind. I'm ready for you, man. Okay. So why don't we talk about when you actually got to Southern California? Just can you tell a, a bit about what brought you to the area and your education around that time? I was uh, poorly educated, actually, when I arrived in uh, Southern California uh, because I was born on a carnival that my dad owned and we had to move every week. So I didn't really get a very good early education. Um, but I did end up, you know, uh, working as a waitress and making enough money to pay for UCLA a film school at the time. And, you know, uh, I went to school there. So, um, yeah. 
And at what point did you realize you wanted to make films? Was it at the carnival or what, what inspired that in you? Well, I was standing on a hillside at uh, Irvine University because I was going to school there studying psychobiology of all things. And this friend of mine named Bill Norton, whom you probably know as a great director, uh, was um, was standing there with me, and he said he was going to go to a film school. And I went, "Oh my God, they have they have a school that'll teach you how to make movies. I can't believe it. Where is it?" And he said, "UCLA." So I said, uh, "Well, I'm going to go there too." But th- to be honest with you, I I really liked the guy, and I was kind of trying to pick him up. And uh, and so that's why I went to film school. You became a director for the same reason a lot of guys became musicians, I think. Oh, you're right. It's the groupies. That's it. Good thinking. Um, so and so you went to uh, UCLA. Which campus was it? The Orange in Orange County or or in uh, no? Westwood? Uh, well, I was at Irvine uh, uh, University in Orange County, and then that's where uh, Bill and I decided to go to uh, film school okay, at it. UCLA because they didn't have film school at Irvine. Huh. Uh-uh. Got it. The subject of UCLA keeps coming up this season. At last season, everyone went to USC, but you went to UCLA. Was there a reason you chose UCLA? Was it just because he was going there as well? or No, I, I chose UCLA because that was the only place I knew that made movies. I didn't even know about any other school that taught you how to make movies, you know? Was it hard to get in? Uh, no, it wasn't. <laughs> and I... I <laughs> I've been helping other people, other kids right now, try to get into schools, and I know how hard it is to get in right now. I just got one kid into Emerson, yay. And, um, you know, I, I back then all you had to do is have kind of decent high school grades and pay the dinky, uh, uh, you know, what do you call that? The what you, uh, thing that you pay for every uh, Tuition? quarter. Thank you, that's the word. <laughs> Jesus. Um, well, how lucky for us, though, that, that you did get in. And, um, you know, we've had a sort of running uh, recurring theme of punk rock this season. So we had Alex Cox talking about Repo Man and Greg Araki uh, talking about the Doom Generation. And both of them cite you as a, as a major influence. What do you think about that? I am profoundly talented. I mean, uh, flattered. <laughs> you know, I didn't do that on purpose. Yes, yes I did. Um, <laughs> That's hilarious. I well, know. you are. Okay, so, no, <laughs> I am profoundly flattered. Um, yeah, so Alex Cox, when he got the gig to do Repo Man, I was really pissed because I wanted the gig. <laughs> but, you know... But uh, he came into my office, and uh, he sat down. He goes, hey, Penelope, I'm so scared. What am I going to do? I don't know how to direct a movie. <laughs> and I tried to talk him off the ledge, and he did a great job with it, obviously. Um, and then Greg Araki is, uh, this guy is extremely underappreciated, uh, underrated, and under-well-known because he is so cool and so smart. Uh, yeah, the Doom Generation couldn't take my eyes off of it. 
Yeah, uh, so great. And of course, they were both influenced by, uh, you know, the punk culture that that you uh, so amazingly documented in, in decline of Western civilization. And um, I wonder if you could talk a bit about, you know, your immersion in that culture and how that came to be. I think I was actually going to clubs and checking out these bands and I had a company back then called Rock and Rio and it was the first company in LA that did um, music videos and so I had this equipment oftentimes and I would start shooting the bands you know um, and plus I could still borrow it from UCLA too <laughs> um, I don't know I, I, I was hanging out with all my punk friends and I just felt like it was an important movement because I'd always been into rock and roll, but I'd never seen anything like punk rock before, you know? And I just felt compelled to document it. Yeah. Yeah, just such an amazing burst of, uh, of like, honest creative energy that was happening at that time. Um, and so we're very lucky to have, have you have made that. Yeah, I feel fortunate that I was there at the right time with the cameras because, you know, not everybody had an iPhone back then. Right. So I was one of the few people that were able to actually grab some of the goings-on, you know? And, you know, you mentioned earlier that you were upset that you didn't get Repo Man, and I, I would imagine it was harder for you being a woman uh, that men were getting jobs that you felt you were better suited for. Oh, you know, I, I I I didn't really realize it honestly until later in life, but there are a lot of jobs that I didn't get probably because I was a woman, you know, and I always just thought, "Oh, I guess this is really a hard job. That's why I just keep getting turned down all the time." But um as I look back, I realized, yeah, it was it was because I was a chick, but you know, I still am actually and you know what? <laughs> um, I found a piece of paper because I'm uh, writing a book uh, about my movie uh, uh, career. I found a piece of paper the other day that I wrote in 1973. And it said that I spoke with a producer and he actually said, uh, you've, you've done some good short movies at UCLA, and I would hire you if you were not a woman. Oh, my God. Now, I know this jerk had the audacity to actually say what everybody else was thinking. It was smart enough not, not to say. But, yeah, that's that was way back then. And uh, But honestly, I didn't, I didn't go, oh, I'm a woman. I'm being discriminated against. <laughs> I never did that. I always just kept pushing forward and um, just thought it was a really, really hard job. I was going to go do one music video. This stupid-looking, long-haired glam band needed a, a video director. And when I walked in the room with the producer, they said, we're not going to have a woman direct our video. And so, yeah. And what uh, band was that? <laughs> I don't remember. Ha, ha, ha. Because <laughs> guess what? Nobody knows who the hell they were. <laughs> <laughs> they fell off into the uh, abyss, the hairband abyss. Um, well, yeah, screw, that's, a, that's, a pretty, that's a that's <laughs> that's a pretty full abyss. Did you just say screw them? <laughs> yeah, yeah, How dare they? yeah. I prefer not to, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, 
is it true that we have Roger Corman to thank for your, your first feature or, or for your breakthrough? Well, for my narrative first feature, right, yeah. Right. Uh, because the decline was the first documentary right, feature. Right, right. And yes, uh, we have uh, Roger Corman and a wonderful man named Bert Dragon. Uh, it sounds like the animal, but it's D R A G I N, Bert Dragon. And um, uh, Bert, neither one of us can remember how in the hell we met, but um, somebody introduced us, you know. Uh, and and he he was a furniture uh, salesman that made a bunch of money in the Midwest. Uh, and he's from Cleveland, and uh, he uh, wanted to come out to L.A. and spend all the furniture money making movies. So he said he he had two hundred fifty thousand dollars, and uh, yeah, um, I could I if I could match it, he would um, he would pay pay half, you know. So I thought of going to Roger Corman. And it's funny because the other day going through all this biography stuff, I found the top sheet for the uh, uh, budget of suburbia. It was $559,000. Mm. Yeah. So, um, and uh, flee from the Red Hot Chili Paper. Good God. Red Hot Chili Papers. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I think I was smoking my breakfast this morning. No, I'm just kidding. I don't use pot. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> Flea calls suburbia the uh, punk rock Bible. And uh, I don't mean to insult any Christians out there, but um, that's what he calls the um, uh, punk rock Bible suburbia. He says he goes to like Chechnya or, you know, these obscure countries that and and that they all know suburbia, yeah, yeah. It was it was a great film and and uh, very well uh, received and and uh, I think it... no 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 Seth it was not well received <laughs> it wasn't <laughs> okay well then no, what happened no no it didn't even get a damn release that that's that's the thing about my movies except for Wayne's World yeah no it, it didn't get a release the decline the first decline didn't get a release the second decline didn't get a release dudes that I did with John Cryer didn't get a release um I have all these films that really didn't get released so so when I think of them as classic films they were like uh, distributed on VHS from person to person or yeah you know Dave Grohl described it like this when he was a uh, a kid. It was like a VHS of the first decline was like contraband. It was like if you had this thing around your parents, you had to hide it like drugs or something, you mm -hmm. know. And then you would like pass it from friend to friend uh, very discreetly so the parents couldn't see that they were, you know, going to be looking at this terrible thing, the decline or suburbia. So, yeah, those movies were considered to be... Um, mm, not watchable by the by the uh, you know uh, ticket paying public at that point. And even after they developed their reputations, they didn't get like uh, repertory screenings and things. Oh yeah, no, I'm not griping about that. Believe me, uh, it was just in the beginning okay. when I first made the movies. I mean, you work your ass off. And you think, oh, okay, well, now the whole world can see what a great artist I am. Oh, uh, uh. Okay, well, then the movie doesn't get released, you know, and uh, it's uh, it's just really disappointing. But later, that's freaky because later, you know, 30 years later for Wayne's World here, 40 years later for The Decline, people appreciate it. I mean, The Decline was just inducted into the... Uh, 
uh, Library of Congress National uh, Film Registry. Yeah, believe it or not. Did you know that? I didn't know that, but it certainly belongs there. I mean, everything you did was so ahead of its time, and um, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, it was it was underappreciated and even criticized, you know, like the first words out of this lady's mouth after a screening we had here in L.A. was, how dare you glorify these heathens? They were talking about, she was ta <laughs> talking about punks, these heathens. Yeah. Well, you know, a, a true visionary, it, sometimes it takes some time for everyone to catch up. Yeah, you know, like Galileo and, uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, that dude has some problems too, you know? You're more relevant to me than Galileo. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's a fine compliment. Thank you. You're welcome. So, okay, we were almost at um, the, the subject that shall not be named, but I had one question about, did you hook up with Albert Brooks for a series of short SNL films? We did about six or so short films on Saturday Night Live, and uh, I pr produced them because uh, people what, that wore skirts weren't allowed to actually direct them back then on SNL. So the short films that I did for Albert, with Albert, see, Lauren calls me up one day and he goes, Penelope, dear, uh, you know, I've got, because I knew him from before even Saturday Night Live, Penelope, dear, um, I've got this very funny guy, but he doesn't want to be a player, but he wants, he wants some, he wants to make some movies and he doesn't know how. Can you teach this Albert Brooks guy how to make movies? And so I did. And, wow. Uh, so you taught yeah. Albert Brooks how to be a director. Yes, sir, I did. And it was brutal. <laughs> Do you know what it's like to be in the same room with Albert Brooks for almost four years? You ask me why I'm nuts? Hello? I was in the same room with Albert Brooks. And right before that, I was in the same room with Richard Pryor for two years. So why is Penelope nuts? Ha, huh, you figured it out. <laughs> What were you doing with Richard? He wanted to direct a movie. We're talking 1968, okay? Mm -hmm. And I'm at UCLA, okay. and Richard came to, to, to the campus looking for somebody to help him make a movie. The movie was called Uncle Tom's Fairy Tales. And so uh, we shot the movie, um, and then, that's a long story, but uh, I was... Uh, I was not, I was producing, uh, my daughter's father was, uh, shooting, a camera and I was wrangling Richard and then I was editing. So that's what I did. Uncle Tom's fairy tales. And whatever happened to that film is one of the mysteries of the universe. It's never been seen. Mm, well, it was, see, he said to me one day, he goes, um, Penelope, I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to sell the film to Bill Cosby. And I said, okay. He said, can we have a screening for Bill Cosby? So I said, yeah. I set him up in one of those upstairs screening rooms at UCLA. Cosby comes through the door. Dude is so tall. I didn't know he was so tall. He walks through the door. And Rich is not a, was not a big dude, you know. Anyway, so they sat there. They watched the movie. That was the last time I ever saw it. Whether he sold it to Cosby or not, like I said, people are trying to find this movie like you wouldn't believe. And how was how was it? Oh, it was freaky. It was <laughs> freaky. It was about... <laughs> I mean, it's Richard Pryor, you know? Um, 
It was about a, 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 a white guy that raped a black woman and was on trial by all black jury and uh, all black uh, three judges. Yeah. And um, it was pretty gnarly. So it was not a comedy. I don't mean to make a pun here, but it was a black comedy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it was it huh. was it was Richard, you know, yeah, that's a whole long story. But anyway, so yeah, I work with Richard, I work with Albert Brooks. I mean, oh, I had I made a list of all the comedians I worked with. You wouldn't believe it. I've been I worked with so many comedians, Seth. Well, you know, one thing I, you know, in rewatching Wayne's World, which I, to be honest, I don't think I'd seen since I saw it in the theater in 2001, is it is such a, a brilliantly directed comedy. You understand the language of comedy, whether it's physical comedy or the way to, you know, the pattern of a joke, the rhythm, you, you speak that language. And that's, um, that's a very rare thing. And now yeah, it makes more sense people. to me. Oh, does it? Yeah. I, I'm well, in that you sense. spent all this time with oh, Richard. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Richard, I work with Roseanne Barr, I work with Chevy Chase, obviously, Lauren Michaels, uh, Danny DeVito, John Belushi, you know, Chris Farley, Whoopi, Donald Trump. Oh, wait. <laughs> yeah, he was in The Little Rascals. He was in The Little Rascals movie. I classify him as a comedian. He was pretty funny in that movie. He but anyway, can be, he can be. <laughs> yeah, Ozzy Osbourne, and he's funny as hell. And of course, my mom. Uh, and so, <laughs> you know, I, I worked with with a lot of really funny people. Um, so I, I had pretty good training, I think. Okay, so Lauren Michaels had faith in you. He he knew that you understood how to how to make a funny film. I don't think the word funny belongs in that question because I think <laughs> he knew he knew that I knew how to make movies. Mm -hmm. I don't think he thought I had anything to do with funny. Or else he would have let me direct. Uh, you know, I used to write all these skits because he said, it, it, Penelope, if you write something that the team loves, then we'll do it. But I never could do it. And it was so disheartening, you know, because I don't think he thought I was funny. And, yeah. So you would, you would write script sketches and give them to him and nothing would come of them. Exactly. I mean, I remember walking down the street and in the snow, it's like a some kind of bad 40s movie in the snow. And tears coming down my face and I'm like I still can't make a movie on Saturday Night Live mm -hmm. <sighs> anyway it was horrible yeah but now with the hindsight we know that uh, it was not a friendly place for women to be creators at least not in that oh, era I'm glad you said that Seth because <laughs> I didn't really want to bring it up <laughs> um, but yet okay so now let's get to Wayne's World so he, he has a uh, you know, a hit uh, breakout sketch with Mike Myers and Dana Carvey. Um, I, th I think at that point they had only made one other sketch into a movie, right? The, uh, the Blues Brothers. Yeah, Blues Brothers, uh-huh. And the Blues Brothers did pretty well. That movie did pretty well. Yeah, I mean, it's a classic in its own right, John Landis, and um, yeah. it did very well. And um, But, I, you know, now we think, oh, you know, there are a dime a dozen, these these uh, spinoffs of sketches from SNL. But the, but in fact, it, it was still a new uh, a new idea, even at the time of Wayne's World. Right. It was relatively new, yes. And actually, in my long association with Lorne Michaels, there was a moment where he decided he wasn't going to speak to me anymore. Why and was that? And that was when I told him that I 
don't think I could do a good job directing the ladies' man with Tim Meadows. You know, interesting. Yeah, I, I, the script just didn't hit me. You know, mm-hmm. and you know, chicks, you could you could direct movies all day, but you got one bomb and you're done. Right. You know. So I didn't want to have to make a bomb, especially when I was on a roll after Wayne's World. So when I told him I couldn't do it, he never talked to me ever again. Really? That's a very yeah. John, Johnny Carson move. Just oh, cut you out. He, was he like that? Oh, yeah. Joan Rivers, he, he, he cut her out. She, oh, is that right? She got her own yeah. show. I don't um, understand why it needs to be so, uh, so vindictive like that. I mean... Yeah, me either, but um, you know what? I'm fine. If Lord called me tomorrow, I would say, hey, baby, how's it going? I don't care. Whatever. Well, and he, you, sh- he should have made, you should have made him very happy because you, you took this sketch and you turned it into a, you know, a really lasting classic. Um, yeah, it's funny. I ran into John Goldwyn at some uh, shindig in Hollywood here. Richard Pryor used to call it, yeah, some cheese and crackers party. Uh, um, <laughs> anyway, Goldman says to me, <laughs> he says, Penelope Lorne loves you so much. And I'm like, he does? Oh, doesn't speak to me, but he loves me? He goes, yeah, because you made him more money than any other movie. <laughs> and I went, I thought he like might like me because I was a nice person <laughs> or... <laughs> we've known each other for 50 years or something like that but it's because i made him a lot of money okay cool whatever it takes bro right but even then he wouldn't pick up the phone well i'm not calling him what am i gonna do hey lauren remember me oh yeah fuck it interesting <laughs> well you never know you never know in hollywood the, the strangest things happen sometimes uh-huh. Yeah, no kidding, dude. <laughs> <laughs> so did he did he have a finished script that he brought to you or what 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 stage was it in when you came aboard? The script was oh gosh. Um yes, there was a quote unquote finished script. There was, you know, a hundred pages or so. However, this is the part that was really hard for me is the TV process of writing is very different, especially live TV, than writing a a movie, a feature film. So Bonnie and Terry Turner were the main writers. Of course, Micah contributed. But they were constantly handing me new pages to the point where a few days into the shoot, I said, I need to have... I don't know if I said 24 or 48 hours. If you're going to give me new pages, I need to have them, you know, 24 hours before I'm supposed to shoot them. Because if you hand me some pages and I got to go find a gun rack in five minutes, it ain't happening, dude, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) because that's what it was like, you know, because they didn't on, on, on live TV, they would hand, they would hand the host, um, you know, new lines during commercial break. And that's what they were used to, you know. But for me, I had to stand there and also make sure everything was going to be in continuity and everything was going to make sense and we didn't have to shoot something that contradicted something we already shot. So, yeah. Now, Bonnie and Terry were, uh, how, were they SNL writers? Yeah, husband and wife team, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, and they wrote the sketches 
as well with Mike? Yes. Oh, yes. From what I understand, yeah. But they were on set the whole time giving you rewrites. Yeah, handing me paper over my shoulder, baby. It was hard <laughs> to do. And I fi <laughs> finally I had to say, you know, I ain't going to shoot something if I had it in my hand for a while. Now, you said no to the um, the ladies' man. <laughs> you thought that was a lousy script, but you liked this script, and I'm wondering what, what you thought worked about it. That's a different point in my career. You see, when I was uh, handed the Wayne's World script, I had not been uh, in the studio system at all. I certainly wasn't in the Director's Guild or the Academy. Mm. And... Um, only after I did Wayne's World did I have, you know, a choice about what film I could or could not do. I mean, the films, no. everything I did before Wayne's World, I was just trying to make a living. And Wayne's World was my seventh movie. But after that, you know, I thought I could, I got like a whole cabinet full of scripts that never got made just because I couldn't get them financed, you know. And uh, I told my daughter to save him because I'll be worth a lot of money after I'm dead. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say that. You, I mean, we could guess you, they could still get me. Well, everybody I know is dying lately. I don't know what the <laughs> hell's going on. Well, I'll tell you what I think works about the script. Okay. I I, th I think it's a perfect tale of of Holly what Hollywood does to to ruin something real and true and good. Um, it it uh, takes place in Chicago, not not Hollywood, but it's clear that Rob Lowe's character is is based on, I'm sure, many people that you had had to deal with. And the way, the insidious way that he kind of lures them in and then starts, you know, ruining the, the chemistry and then goes after his girl, like, to me, it was, that really worked. Like, that was a, a smart take on on how to turn this from a sketch into a movie. Well, I think you're right. I think that is not the major reason why the script worked, though. <laughs> okay. Because <And>, uh, <laughs> uh, guess what? The people that really made the film work and paid all that money to make it, you know, 200 million bu bucks or whatever, they don't really know that thing you just described about the backstabbing in Hollywood. They, they right. don't live that like we do. Let me tell you what I think made it work. And I just figured this out lately. And it is the chemistry between Dana and Mike and how they represent the joy of an innocence of youth and how much fun and exuberant energy kids have at that age. I think that's what made it work. I, I I agree. They definitely capture that, and nothing gets Wayne down. He's he's exuberant throughout. Well, he was a little worried when Benjamin tried to steal his chick. You right know? at the end, yeah, the, yeah. Of course, he has his his moment. Um, but th throughout, he's he's uh, he just loves oh, yeah. life. He's yeah, exactly. That's what it was all about: is loving life. That's what Wayne's world is all about: is loving life. Yes. My name is Wayne Campbell. I live in Aurora, Illinois, which is a suburb of Chicago. Excellent. I've had plenty of Joe jobs. Nothing I'd call a career. 
Let me put it this way. I have an extensive collection of name tags and hairnets. Okay, I still live with my parents, which I admit is both bogus and sad. But at least I've got an amazing cable access show. And I still know how to party. But what I'd really love is to do Wayne's World for a living. It might happen. Yeah, and monkeys might fly out of my butt. Ah, the Mirthmobile. And Garth is uh, similar, but obviously, you know, um, maybe we would say now he's on the spectrum or he's diff- different, but, um, but He's still- a little tweaker, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. First, I'll access a secret military spy satellite that's in a geosynchronous orbit over the Midwest. Then, I'll ID the limo by the vanity plate Mr. Big and get his approximate position. Then... I'll reposition the transmitter dish in the remote truck to 17.32 degrees east. Hit West Star 4 over the Atlantic, bounce a signal down into the Azores, up the Comptat 6, beam it back to SATCOM through transmitter number 137, and down to the dish in the back of Mr. Pig's limo. It's almost too easy. Yeah, they have they have a beautiful um you know, uh, a chemistry. And I I you know, you hear so many things over the years about Mike and um and also his relationship to Dana, um, especially after this film. And, uh, you know, I, I have to ask, you know, w- what was it like when the cameras were off? Is, is, are those rumors true? No. They're okay. a big fat lie. <laughs> okay? And I'm here to testify. Okay. And, yeah, it was not an uncomfortable set. I mean, for me, the most uncomfortable moment would happen... I don't know if I should tell people this, but Mike is hypoglycemic. So if he got low blood sugar, then he would get grumpy. So big deal. You know, I work with Richard Pryor and Albert Brooks. You know, they'll cause you a heart attack. This guy just gets you a little, you know, come on now. Let's just keep going. You know, it's fine. The problem, and this is what everybody latches on to, is afterwards, after the film screened, and got great audience reaction in the testing uh, setting, that's when the uh, crap hit the fan, is because Mike wanted me to take out a bunch of jokes, and I wouldn't do it. So they they weren't testing well, or they he wasn't getting hearing laughs in the theater? Uh, so he he wasn't out? there for... The, 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 what happened was, unfortunately, his father had passed away right when we were having the test screening, so he had to go back to Canada... And he wasn't there to witness in person the incredible audience reaction and look at the test cards and realize that we had something on our hands. He wasn't there. So he didn't know. So he came back, sat down at a cam flatbed editing machine and watched it all by himself and made 11 pages of notes. And most of them sucked. And, you know, like he wanted me to take out that joke where, Stacy, his ex-girlfriend, hits the car and falls over the hood of the car. <laughs> right. Okay. Now that's fu- see. Even you laughed right now. Said that is a funny joke. Well, it's funny you should bring it up though, because I in watching it yesterday. Now we're talking about Lara Flynn Boyle, who plays his uh, obsessive ex, who he's from the uh, beginning is avoiding, and she's stalking him. Uh oh! Don't look, Stacy. Where? Oh God! I made eye contact. Oh. Psycho hose beast. 
happy anniversary, Wayne. Stacy, we broke up two months ago. Well, that doesn't mean we can't still go out. Well, it does, actually. That's what breaking up is. Will, are you going to go to the gas works tonight? No. No! no. Don't you want to open your present? If it's a severed head, I'm going to be very upset. Open it. Okay. What is it? It's a gun rack. A gun rack? A, a gun rack. Yeah, right. I don't even own a gun, let alone many guns that would necessitate an entire rack. What am I going to do with a gun rack? You don't like it? Fine. You know, Wayne, if you're not careful, you're going to lose me. I lost you two months ago. Are you mental? We broke up. Get the net. And uh, she has a series of uh, physical accidents in her stockings of him. One is uh, I, I, she falls off a balcony. And then in this one, um, she she hits a, a car on her, on her bike, you know, while they're playing a, a street hockey and flies over the thing. Uh-oh, incoming. Stacy, 10 o'clock. Hi, Wayne. Hi. Hey, are you all right? <laughs> Oops. And she's okay. <laughs> game on! Yeah, game on. And I have to say, in watching it, I thought... I don't think that would make it into a movie today that, you know, first that she's really? a woman, that she's getting hurt, that she's the butt of the joke. Uh, uh -huh. I, it did. That moment did stick out to me as like, oh, that probably would not. That wouldn't be in a movie. Today. OK, well, that's all really nice of you, Seth. But guess what? <laughs> what? That's not the reason Mike didn't want it in there. <laughs> Mike didn't want it in there because she was getting the laugh, not him. Oh, well, we can't have that then. We Makes have to sense. Take that out. No. Um, uh, interesting. Okay. Well, uh, but everyone's getting laughs in this movie, left, right, and center. Why did that one bother him? That's the way Lorne teaches his players is to always one-up each other. Okay. So when I'm shooting, I will shoot the page. I will shoot what's on the page. And then Mike will go, hey. I got an idea. Why don't we do this instead? And I can do it better. And I'm like, uh, dude, we don't have time. Oh, no, no, no. It'll just be really fast. Okay, fine. All right. That's it. We got it. Dana. But wait, I got to have one too. Okay. We're running out of time, guys. <laughs> but they're always trying to one up each other. But guess what? That's what makes it funny. <laughs> okay. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I have to wonder, the certain sequences, did they insist get added, like uh, the Dana Carvey um, Garth dancing to Foxy Lady, which was killing me yesterday. I had to videotape it <laughs> and send it to my friends. I just thought it was such brilliant physical comedy, but it really just came out of nowhere. Was, was that in the script or was that, uh, hey, I need my physical comedy moment? Well, I appreciate that you like that scene because I had to fight like all hell to, number one, use the song, the Hendrix song, Foxy Lady, and uh, number two, you know, keep that scene in. 
But I have to say that it was Dana that really made it work because I'm one with the song. So we get on set, we start doing the playback and he shows me right then what he's going to do. And I was just knocked out like you were. Yeah. Yeah. He's a genius. He total genius. <laughs> Agreed. And then, uh, you know, other like significant moments, of course, uh, you know, the, the queen, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody sequences, of course, now we take it for granted, but it was a music video as well, but it was a scene in the movie and uh, just just walk me through that again, because it was a huge cultural moment, that, that thing. I see a little silhouette of a man. Scaramouche, Scaramouche, will you do the fandango? Thunderbolts and lightning, very, very frightening me. Galileo. Galileo. Just so I don't forget to gripe about this. <laughs> Please, you have the floor. I have read so many times that Mr. Myers claims that I wanted to use a Guns N' Roses song in that scene. And he, being the hero and genius that he is, <laughs> fought so hard against this asshole director to get Bohemian Rhapsody in the movie. That is a big effing lie. Okay, Mike? <laughs> you can kiss my big fat white butt, all right? Okay, so here's the truth. Okay. <laughs> the fact of the matter is, right before I did Wayne's World, I did a movie called The Decline of Western Civilization, right. part two, The Metal Years. Right. I had been in negotiations with Guns N' Roses with their with their manager, uh, Niven uh, was his last name. And he, up to the last day, Guns N' Roses was going to be the last uh, closing act in The Decline Part 2. Mm -hmm. And that bastard pulled them out at the last minute, the manager did. Now, why would I fight for a Guns N' Roses song when they just did that to me? Of course, I yeah. wouldn't, you know. So for Mike to say that, I'd like to correct history and let him know that Bohemian Rhapsody was in the script when I got it. If it was his idea to put it in there, cool, thanks, dude. Uh, don't say you had to fight for it because you didn't. And uh, I put that headbanging scene in a previous movie I did called uh, Dudes with Flea and John Cryer headbanging to Hava Nagila. Okay. <laughs> and so <laughs> I did that scene already in a different movie. But you know what? At the end of the day, I feel like a jerk right now because why do we have to argue over who gets the credit for that? You know, let's give the credit to Queen and walk away. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, to the cast who made it so memorable and um no if you're gonna get the cast credit you're gonna give me credit sorry <laughs> <laughs> you gotta stick with queen dude <laughs> i'm sorry seth no i mean and of course you i i was getting to you best for last that um no i, I don't care we shouldn't care it's not about the whole movie is not about who should get credit for the movie because it was some kind of magical you know, moment that came together with the right people, the right chemistry, the right 
creative energy all at the right moment. There's no explaining stuff like that. You know what I mean? It just happens. It's God sent, you know? And and I'm not going to take credit for the movie, and Mike shouldn't either, and neither should Lorne, especially. <laughs> um, we should all take credit collectively uh, for making Wayne's World a success. But what was it about? Was it the because that the song Bohemian Rhapsody is now you know it's the title of a biopic. It's it's part of the culture. But at the time, the song was not um, that popular. I don't think it was one of the better or you know the more played Queen songs. But something about the operatic nature and the chapters of it, like it it caught on. People got why it was such a piece of genius. And then the fun of it of them banging their heads in the car and the pacer. It just was a thing. It was a music video, and I'm I'm just trying to impart yeah. upon our younger listeners that this this was a moment. Yeah, it's a magical moment. It's catching that magical moment that the entire culture latches onto. Yeah, and you know what? It, when we were doing it, did we go, "Hey, I'm going to make it a magical moment that everyone's going to latch"? No, we didn't do that. You know. We, uh, matter of fact, they hated doing it. They hated banging their head in the car. <laughs> and I don't blame them. It hurt. If you look, James Hetfield, uh, you know, all those headbangers that play that heavy music, look at what they do with their heads. They're used to it, you know. Dave Mustaine, they bang their heads like you wouldn't believe. But these guys weren't used to doing that. They didn't have the muscles in their neck to make it work, and it started hurting really bad. And they were asking for Advil and whatever else we might find on the set to make themselves feel better, you know? So, <laughs> uh, but, and and the worst part, okay, I will say this. Uh, uh, Mike told me, not only does it hurt, but it's not funny. And I said, uh, uh, I have to disagree with you, man. Please work with me here, because it is funny. So it does sound like he was a little bit difficult to work with, or at least, um, you know, there were there was some friction there. See, you know, Seth, here's the thing. I was the first uh, director to really work with Mike on a feature, you know, so he didn't have any history of being difficult. As time went on, I sort of tuned myself out to the whole thing, whatever, but, you know... Then I would hear this and that about how he was hard to work with. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'm not the only one. But can I say this? Mm -hmm. That genius comedians are quirky and hard to work with. I'm sorry, Richard Pryor, you think he was hard to work with? Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, he used to swing samurai swords uh, behind my head when I was editing. And, you know, uh, weird stuff like that. I mean. Yeah, you you hear stories about Peter Sellers being uh, kind of a nasty guy. and Oh, really? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I would compare him to Mike Myers in terms of the kind of things oh, they do. Oh, yeah, yeah. They got, they got a lot in common in terms of their beats, for sure. Yeah. And Dana, is he as sweet as, he's, as Garth? or No, sweeter. Aw. <laughs> he was a total pleasure. Yeah, he does seem you know. like a really good guy. The only thing that that was a little hard with Dana was that he would have to, like, um, for example, you know that licorice that he pulls out of the candy dispenser on the roof in the 
uh, car. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that wasn't there in the script. So, you know, okay, prop guy, go make a licorice dispenser. We need it in an hour, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> just stuff like that. But, you know, it always helped. It always contributed. He was, Dane is a total pleasure. And there was a lot of fun camera work with him, too, of, of, because uh, he kind of gets the more, um, sci-fi slapstick stuff like that uh like that moving that moving hand when he started when he starts hammering the movie oh i know <laughs> that's the kind of thing that dana came up with all on his own <laughs> you know that wasn't in the script okay no way i mean I'll be honest with you, some of these jokes I didn't even get, you know? I'm like, really? <laughs> Is the hand supposed to be funny? Uh, well, we have a hand here, so let's use it and find out. Um, what, you know. what about the the um, the product placement sequence, which is still very, very funny, where he lifts up the Pizza Hut box and right. Garth is in the Reebok outfit head to toe. Well, the thing is, we didn't have Reebok until the... I mean, we were shooting the scene. And as you mentioned, I feel like I know the beats of making a joke work. A joke work, And so we didn't have the third beat. You need, a, you need a little joke, you need a medium joke, and then you need to hit with the banger, right? <laughs> right. So we didn't have the banger. We didn't have the Reebok. And so Nike said no. And uh, so I'm shooting, and I'm like, this whole scene isn't going to work because we don't have the shoes. We need the shoes. The last minute, they come in. They go, we got Reebok. I'm like, wow. oh, awesome. I get some free shoes. Yeah. <laughs> but he didn't just have yeah. shoes. He was wearing literally every piece of clothing on him was Reebok. <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah, I know. Everything. <laughs> That's where I see things just a little differently. Contractor, no. I will not bow to any sponsor. Sorry, you feel that way, but basically it's the nature of the beast. Maybe I'm wrong on this one, but for me, the beast doesn't include selling out. Garth, you know what I'm talking about, right? It's like people only do things because they get paid. And that's just really sad. I can't talk about it anymore. It's giving me a headache. Here, take two of these. Ah, new print. Little, yellow, different. Look, you can stay here in the big leagues and play by the rules, or you can go back to the farm club and roar. It's your choice. Yes, and it's the choice of a new generation. So the film is done, and you said the audience is going crazy for it, and how is Paramount reacting? Oh, they didn't know what the hell they had. You know, they Mm -hmm. had no idea. And uh, <laughs> we had a screening, that screening, unfortunately, that they uh, that Mike uh, missed uh, over at the Village Theater in Westwood, and all the executives were there. And it, it's funny, it's like all the Paramount executives, it's like when a film does well, uh, everybody's there to help and take credit and all that. But when it does bad, they, they run like cockroaches. I'm telling you, it's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so bizarre. But what happened that night was we were in the lobby after after the screening and there were all the executives 
around all in their suits and everything. And I was in the, I was the only woman there. Or maybe Karen Roosevelt might have been there too. Um, she was one of the uh, Paramount execs that worked with Goldwyn. But we're all around and we're all talking about how the screening was. And all of a sudden I realized they, they literally closed me out of the circle so that I was looking at the back of two suits. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that was uh, uh, not a good feeling. But, um, you know, I mean, I don't mean to bad rep Paramount because they gave me my, um, my residuals, my participation over the years. They're, 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 they're good people. And, and you went on to work with them again? Yeah, I did Black Sheep over there. Right. Black sheep. Yeah. Classic. Uh -huh. So they did um, treat you right. Good. I, I, for some reason, I had heard that maybe Paramount was not good by you, but, but that, that's uh, heartening to hear. So what's the issue with the sequel then? Who starts these? Oh, it's the sequel thing. That's what it was. Yeah, it's because Mike didn't want me to direct Wayne's World 2. And I wasn't mad at Paramount, you know? I mean, they were just doing what Mike said, you know? And Lauren took me aside, and he goes, look, Penelope, if you don't change the movie, then you're not going to be able to direct Wayne's World 2. And I said, but it, it, it's okay like it is. I promise you. Yeah, but Mike's not going to let you approve you on Wayne's World 2 if you don't change it. And I said, well, let me go talk to Paramount. I go talk to Paramount. And they said, you know, we really want to do Wayne's World 2 with Mike, and we can't tell him, you know, that you're not going to change it. So you have to tell him. And Lauren says, yes, Penelope, you have to tell him. So I told him, and then I got canned. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, just in terms of, like, protocol, who had the final cut? Like, if he had wanted to make those cuts, could he have? He did, as an actor, he did not have final cut. I would say at that point that Paramount had the final cut. Okay. I did not have final cut at that point in my career. After I did Wayne's World, I could get final cut. So Paramount could have, you know, said, we're going to leave it like it is. But I didn't understand the process at that point. To be honest with you, it was my first studio movie. All I knew is somebody had to tell Mike that we weren't going to change it. And everybody told me I had to do it. So I did it. Did all the notes that he had, they, they were over, overrided or he didn't get his changes? Well, I mean, I might have done a couple of them, but I'm not going to take out a joke that I know really works, you know? Okay. So it was a compromise kind of thing. I guess. I don't know. I wish I could find those damn... It was like that yellow paper with lines on it. It was like every 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 line. You didn't skip a line, okay? Every line had a note of what to cut. And and there was 11 pages. I remember that. Wow. Well, There'd be no movie uh -huh. left. Yeah, there's no movie left, right? <laughs> yeah. It uh, ain't a funny movie. Um, well, that's, that's uh, also disheartening. And then, of course, no one remembers... Uh, Wayne's World too. We just remember Wayne's World. So you know, I don't mean to wallow in somebody else's defeat at all, but I think I will. <laughs> <laughs> no. 
<laughs> no, but it's true. I, I you know, you know, if you if you made it work once and you you put the team back together, I, I don't know why why that happened. When they told me that they were going to do Ways World Two, my first thought was: first of all, it's too early. Second of all, I'm going to tear out that. That's when phones had a line into the wall. Right. I'm going to tear out all the phone lines and sit in my house and cry for two weeks, which is what I did. And then I got over it, you know, and then I moved on. And I tried to do, like I said, some of the scripts I wrote, but really I couldn't really do the scripts I wanted to do. So, I mean, even Paramount, I wanted to do Leap of Faith. That was a movie they had right then with Steve, was oh, Steve, Steve Martin, Martin, I think, yeah. Yeah, and I wanted to do that movie, and they wouldn't even give me that gig after I did uh, Wayne's World. But, you know, I couldn't get any movies done that I wanted to really do. So uh, they said, okay, how about, uh, I said, what was it, the um, Beverly Hillbillies or the Little Rascals, one of those. And I'm like, oh, no, you know, Paramount asked me to do the Brady Bunch, and I didn't ever watch the Brady Bunch. So I said I couldn't do it, but Betty Thomas did a great job on it. She did, and we did a, an episode with her in season two. Is that right? Yeah. Did she swear a lot? Um, she was no, a I lot did. of fun. She, we, we, I it know. was the uh, Howard Stern movie that we we focused on. And it, oh, she, private parts. Yeah. yeah, I went up for that job too. And the bastard, I love him though. Actually, Ivan Reitman wouldn't give me that gig either. But you did have other films, and they were successes. And and uh, it, it was a happy story for you. It's not a. It's not a. Oh, yeah. Here's the thing. So many of my friends that are talented filmmakers, they didn't get to do what I got to do. You know, I mean, I don't mean to be complaining. You know, I made some money. I went and sold out and did these remake Beverly Hillbillies and Little Rascals. Because I, you know, it was either make make no movie or go make two million dollars as a salary on the Little Rascal. Okay, Mm -hmm. you pick. You know what I mean? <laughs> Which one you want, you know? Did you ever get uh, heat from maybe like the punk world that you were like selling out? Oh, yeah, constantly. <laughs> 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 it seems like maybe uh, Decline Part 4, the hip-hop years, might be something you could do. I was offered a million dollars when I was broke. Uh, right when hip hop first started, uh, I was offered it. Don't remember what record company it was, and I said no because I don't understand or uh, I'm not a fan of of hip hop. And all of you listening that are fans of hip hop, please don't hate me. It's just I, I, I it's not my thing. Mm-hmm. You know, even well, whatever, that's not my thing. So if you don't really love it and can't be passionate about it, you're not going to do a good movie. So. Yeah, I can't believe I turned down a million dollars. Dude, I turned down $3 million to direct George of the Jungle. Wow, with Brendan, Oscar winner Brendan Fraser, right? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he played George. Exactly, I know. Uh, he wasn't cast in the movie when David Oberman was asking me to direct it, um, but... I mean, I'm like, I can't do another remake, especially a cartoon remake. Please, God, no. Anyway, um, so I turned it down. I, I can't believe I turned down $3 million, yeah, to direct a movie. But I did. 
And what about TV? You never directed in TV? I, do, I think I must suck at TV because every time I tried it, it didn't work, you know? There's only been two actors in my career that ever made me cry. Um, one was Molly Shannon for some jive-ass TV show she was doing, and, uh, and the other was Rip Torn when I worked with the Weinsteins on a film called Senseless. But, you know, I, something about TV and me... It just don't work, you know? Maybe they'll all call me now and ask me to work. I don't know. Nobody calls me and asks me to work anymore. I don't give a shit. Well, I got to ask, uh, Molly Shannon, uh, she seems so nice. How, how did she make you cry? Oh, she seems so nice. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Hilarious. Um, well, she seems a bit intense. I could see her being intense. Intense? That's a kind word. <laughs> um... All right, so Molly Shannon, I don't know, Cracked Up was the name of that TV show. I can't believe I even remembered it. Oh, I or think crack, I... Cracking Up, Cracking Up, yeah. And uh, Molly would not come out of her trailer uh, having a diva moment. And I was just freaking because I'm trying to make my day in terms of getting all the shots in. And nobody on the crew could get her to come out of the trailer and then finally, I, hero, dun, 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 I go and knock on the door. Nobody answers. So I open the door and I walk in and I go, Molly, please come to the set. And um, she started screaming at me, get out of my fucking trailer. Get out of here. Get out of here. And I just broke down in tears. Yeah. So wow. that was that was that sweetheart. Yeah. I don't know if I'll ever be able to laugh at Molly Shannon again after hearing that story. Yeah, please don't. I mean, she's a pain in the ass. <laughs> you deserve way better than that. I hope you feel you've you've gotten it here today. Thank you for asking about TV, but I don't think TV and me get along. I don't know why. Well, so what are you uh, what are you working on, or what is the script you want to make, or, and how are we getting uh, you back making movies because you're one of our best? Oh, I don't know. Dig me out of my grave, dude. Uh, all right, so. <laughs> um, how about, uh, okay, so I got a little movie going in my computer over there, that other computer, and it's about my uh, life on the carnival before my father got murdered. Uh, and so that was that movie I'm working on. I, but it's taken me a while because I started building houses and I didn't know, but I'm really good at building houses. No kidding. So I started building houses and I put my movie on hold, but I'm getting back to it soon. And the other thing I'm doing is uh, I finished a autobiography about my uh, film career with a wonderful guy in New York. Uh, his name is Simon Abrams. He helped me. He uh, and I are writing a book uh, about my uh, movie career and it's done. It's done. I just can't figure out a name for it. Well, I, I, I got to read that. That's definitely. And then uh, and then the, the book about your childhood, is that a documentary or is it a scripted? Uh... No, that would be, that's not a book right now. It's halfway done documentary. Uh, I have a lot of still footage and I have uh, some moving footage of the carnival uh, upon which I was born. Right. I mean, your childhood sounds so fascinating. Both your parents were, were working in the carnival, right? Yeah, my mom was married to a pig farmer, and my dad, who was a Greek immigrant, uh, came through town, and he was the carnival owner. So 
you know, she think about it, you know, pig farmer, carnival owner, which one are you going to choose? So she <laughs> ran away. <laughs> she ran away with the carnival owner. <laughs> wow. Penelope, this was incredible. I, I hope we can meet face to face one day over, I don't know, exit norms or something. But um, oh, yeah, <laughs> norms. I like that. Yeah. All right. Let's, steak and eggs. Steak we got, got to make that happen. Thank you so much. Uh, I you're you're just uh, the best. So thank you and Oh, um, thank you so much. Wow. Oh my god. I want to be her best friend. Thank you Penelope Spheris. You are so cool. We don't deserve you, Shawing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We're not worthy. We're not worthy. That was really fun and I hope you enjoyed it too. And next week we have Another classic coming. So get thee to your streaming device and watch Ferris Bueller's Day Off because Ferris himself, Matthew Broderick, is in the house and he has a lot of great memories to share with us. Ferris Bueller. I couldn't believe it. I was pinching myself. All right. So you have your homework to do. And until then, I'll see you in Hollywood. Hollywood. 